Hey everyone, so excited that you're joining us today and I'm also extremely excited about this next season that we are going to have as a church. We are going to be starting our team gatherings uh, in the next couple of weeks, so make sure that you stay in touch with what is happening by downloading our app and checking it regularly. We're putting lots of updates there for you to keep track of all that is happening in the life of Lyft and we would love to see you very soon. Well, today we move on in our study of Mark and we are going to be studying specifically Mark chapter 7 verses 1 to 23. I'm going to read the passage for you now. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father, or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called to the crowd and uh, to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out from a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach. And then out of the body, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So we are brought back to the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. Again, we read that these Pharisees come from Jerusalem, so they are probably an official party of religious leaders coming to see how they can uh, watch what Jesus is doing and watching for an opportunity to take him down. We don't know whether this is necessarily uh, an event that took place chronologically from Mark chapter 6. More than likely, I think it is, it is part of that previous section uh, where the Pharisees were trying to do this. But Mark took this story, this account of what took place, uh, and placed it here because it was going to be used as a segue for what takes place in the coming few uh, verses and the coming few passages that we will cover in the coming weeks. 
But anyway, I just want you to remember that this was an official confrontation. It was another controversy that was taking place in the life of Jesus, pitting him against the religious leaders. So the Pharisees have come and they see that Jesus' disciples are eating food with unwashed hands. And Mark takes the time to explain to us that these unwashed hands, these defiled hands, is, is not necessarily a, a sinful thing, but more is a ceremonial issue. Note in particular, that when Mark explains what is taking place, he, he mentions that when you come from the marketplace, you will wash your hands before eating, and this, as the tradition of the elders would teach. So what is it about the marketplace in particular uh, that was so important for you to wash your hands after? This is not just a cleanliness, uh, this is not a hygiene issue. Remember, you're talking about a ceremonial, a ritual cleanness uh, that the elders were teaching about. See, the market was a busy place. It was an extremely important place. It's a place where trade would take place. It's a place uh, where there would be meetings of leadership, of governance, of, of all kinds of people would be gathered at the marketplace in order to do the business of everyday life. But because you came in contact with lots of different people and you're not sure where they would come from, there is a potential that you will have come in contact with someone who was not clean and when you touch someone that is not clean and then you go home and you don't wash and then you eat uh, the tradition of the elders taught that you then would become defiled you see what we need to realize is that this is not actually part of the Mosaic law. This is part, the Mosaic law, uh, are all of these laws that we read about in, in, uh, in basically in Genesis to Deuteronomy, any of God's laws for his people, uh, that's the Mosaic law. But then what the elders did in those days is that they built a fence around the Mosaic law because they wanted to protect people from even uh, uh, accidentally breaking the Mosaic law. They built a fence and this is known as the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders is not Mosaic law, but over time it became so important to the Israelites that it became as though it was the law. And the Mosaic law did not actually command every single person to wash their hands before they eat. In fact, when we read Exodus chapters 30 and chapter 40, we read that it is the priests when they are about to enter the tent of meeting into God's presence and present a sacrifice to God. That is when they would need to do this ceremonial washing. So it's quite a specific reason uh, or a specific situation for the priests. Uh, the very specific appointed people to do this ceremonial washing but then this tradition of the elders brought it much wider so that they were saying that every single person would need to wash before they eat these traditions were possibly noble when they were first taught because they wanted people to follow god they really were worried about breaking the laws of god and 
And so they created these fences. However, what happened is that these fences sometimes lost sight of what the original law was all about. All about. They lost sight of God's heart by creating these rituals. And one of those unintended consequences, I believe, when I'm reading this particular passage, is that there was this differentiation between the marketplace and being in God's presence. In today's language, we talk about it, a separation between the holy being in God's presence and the secular when you're doing the business of life. Some of the people call it the difference between the secular and the sacred. There's a division between these spaces. And so the tradition is that you could go to the marketplace and become defiled and then from there make sure you wash and then you can come back into the sacred space. There's a division between the sacred and the secular. This was not something that God had intended. He had spoken specifically to the priests to do the ceremonial washing before they entered into the tent of meeting to present sacrifices because that is when they would be representing the whole tribe of Israel coming into the presence of God. Their washing was supposed to be a moment for them to consider and to reflect and to position themselves to be ready to meet with God. It wasn't about a difference between uh, different spaces of life. But however, because they were so worried about being unclean in God's presence, they started to teach that when you go to these places, when you do the business of life, you need to be so careful because that's when you get defiled. So you need to wash and come back. I'm seeing that there's so many people that they take the, the, the meetings at church, you know, uh, their quiet time perhaps, or any church related activities as sacred. But then you go to your workplaces and then it's secular and there's a separation between these two. It's as though God only exists in the sacred, but not in the secular. That was not intended in God's laws. What was intended was that the people of Israel were always a sacred assembly. They were always a holy people, whether they are in the marketplace or whether they are worshipping Him. There was never meant to be this separation. And the more that we separate, the more we actually lose sight of what God intends for our lives. God is, is necessary in both the arenas of the sacred and the secular. In fact, I would argue that there's no such thing as a secular place. All of life is sacred. All of what God is, has designed for us is sacred. And we need to ensure that our faith is equal in times of church gatherings and as well as those times that we are doing the business of life. Our faith must reach all aspects of our life. Be careful that we don't take the heart of God, we misinterpret it, and we bring divisions where there aren't meant to be divisions. Anyway, the Pharisees bring this accusation to Jesus that his disciples are not following the tradition of the elders. Now, I just want to bring a little note to you that this controversy is mirroring the accusation that we read previously when the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons because he is working with Beelzebul, the Lord of the Flies. 
they did not know where impurity comes from. They thought that Jesus was using impure power to be able to chase out demons. And now they were saying, look at these men. They are defiled because of their lack of hand washing. They did not have a concept of where purity and impurity truly comes from. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 verse 13 as a prophecy that was mentioned hundreds of years ago and he was saying that that prophecy is relevant to this current crop of Pharisees and this is what it says in Isaiah 29 13 the Lord says these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught Isaiah was prophesying that Israel the Israelites God's people would not know how to worship him they would do all of these actions and do all of these things, but they would not have the heart behind it. They would not really know God, nor would they know His presence. The prophets and the Pharisees would have studied them copiously. Israel scriptures that we call the Old Testament. And at that time, being a Pharisee would have meant that they would have been studying all of the Torah as well as the prophets. They would have read this passage, but they didn't even know that that was about them. They did not even know that they were just simply following human tradition, having lost sight of God's heart. And so Jesus goes on to show that the Pharisees were not even really truly, truly obeying the Torah the law in how they created these bylaws and these human traditions. He uses the case of Corbin. Basically, uh, Jesus says that the law states that we need to honor our parents. As part of this whole honor culture of the parents, in those days it included supporting the parents. And, and so children are meant to ensure that if the parents have need, that they are supporting them. That's what in those days a part of honoring meant. However, the Pharisees were then saying that if a person had previously said that their property is Corban, that's it, that is dedicated to God, then they would not be able to touch that property and use that to support their parents because it is already dedicated to God. And so they created this loophole in order to protect property. They created this loophole to stop people from being able to touch their God-dedicated property to serve the parents. Some people, were, uh, some, some scholars would say that this whole idea of Corbin and dedicating to God could possibly mean that the priests, the Pharisees were the ones controlling that property. They were using this idea of not breaking your vows, which is part of the Torah, uh, to be able to stop people from honoring their parents. They were using the law against the law. And, and so Jesus was basically said to them, you are very good at rejecting the commandment of God in order to observe Observe your own tradition. Wow. Are we creating traditions that suit us more than understanding the heart of God? That is the crux of what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. And as much as it was aimed at those Pharisees, I think it's a message that we need to understand for us today. We live in a day and an age 
where we don't necessarily have these uh, passed down traditions from the generations that we're trying to observe. Although some of you, depending on your culture, might have some of those. But I think that in our individualistic culture, we create our own traditions. We create our own practices. You know, we, we create ways for us to live and we say, I need to obey these practices and traditions more than seeking after the heart of God. Let me take the Sabbath as an example. You know, and we've talked about the Sabbath. And so I'm hoping that there's not going to be any confusion here. Because as I have said previously in this series, that the Sabbath is not so much about observing a day, a specific day. And it's not about not doing anything on that day. Rather, the heart of the Sabbath is to bring about rest for humanity. In our human beingness, we need rest. But it's also for us to spend time to reflect, uh, to come into God. God's presence to worship him uh, with this deliberateness and with this focus it is not about a day it is about setting aside time is about the practice is about the heart of wanting to seek after God and so we've you know in today's culture in our Australian culture we've done away with this thought that Sundays are a day that is dedicated to God which I am okay with but the issue is, have we done away with the day, but then we've also done away with actually seeking after God? You know, we've done away with the religiousness of needing uh, to call Sunday God's day. But then we've also done away with the whole thought of actually seeking after God. We've done away with the thought of actually gathering together as the Bible commands us to. Hebrews 10.25, do not neglect the gathering together. Of God's people. In Acts, we read about how their believers devoted themselves to fellowship. Do we do those things? Or do we come up with our own traditions? Do we say, no, 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 I need to work? Do we say, no, 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 I need to rest? Do we say, no, 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 I need to do my sport? No, 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 I need to look after myself. No, 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 I need to look after my family. Now, remember, I'm not saying that we need to do everything, uh, this whole church thing on a Sunday. Remember, church is not a program on a Sunday morning. Church is a gathered together group of people that's also scattered to do God's wills. It's basically the coming together of God's people. So I guess I hope that you're catching what I'm trying to, to put forward here because I'm not trying to say get religious. I'm not trying to say put traditions in place. But what I'm saying is that do we follow God's heart? Do we seek after Him? Do we truly capture what his intention and his design is for us or do we put our own traditions in place and follow them are we good at rejecting the commandment the heart of god in order to observe our own traditions are we creating traditions that are more important to us than god's heart something for you to think about Something that we'll probably discuss in our lift groups. I do need to continue. So Jesus then gives a parable about what goes and doesn't defile a person, but what comes out. Very short parable. The reason why it's called a parable is because Jesus uses an analogy and he doesn't teach directly on it. And he just seems to leave the parable uninterpreted for the crowd, which he often does. And, and it is in private that the disciples get the full teaching. So once again, your is your commitment to be a disciple, to, to get into the mystery, the parables of what God is trying 
trying to reveal, to respond to it. So what Jesus then talks about is that he's saying that the purity laws of the Old Testament are, are, are fulfilled in, in, in his sacrifice. He doesn't teach that. That's something that we can understand through the whole gospel. Uh, he talks about what goes in the stomach, leaves the stomach, and a person's heart is untouched. So he, that, he, he's showing that his ritual purity isn't that important. That's not what God's heart is all about. And so if you've read Leviticus and you're worried about what foods you need to uh, avoid to be pure before God, don't worry. The answer is none. Uh, and it's clear here. Mark writes down for us through this Jesus is saying that none of the food laws need to apply to us anymore. There is no unclean food for us. But the issue that Jesus presses into is to observe the, content, the contents of your heart. It is the contents of your heart that are lived out. These evil thoughts in our hearts that, 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 that grow from our heart, that come from our heart, that we listen to and then we obey and then we live out. What comes inside, out, is what defiles us. It takes away it takes us away from God's presence. I believe that this list of evils that Jesus gives, which appear elsewhere in the Bible, is not so much about just saying, you know, murder is wrong. It's not saying that theft is wrong, even though they are wrong. But why they are wrong is because it is moving us away from God's established pattern for living. We have been designed by God and the Bible shows us these patterns of living to help us understand our design. Murder, theft, malice, lewdness, all of those things that Jesus mentioned either destroys the design of God in us or it harms the design of God in other people. Jesus is saying that when we do that, automatically because of this broken design, we are pushing ourselves away from God. We experience less of God and more of the flesh as Paul talks about. We need to be careful not to get so familiar with this list and, and we say, oh, look, you know, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't done anything that bad. And, 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 and some of these words can seem a little bit extreme to us. But, but remember, in the case of murder, for example, Jesus teaches us that if we harbor anger in our hearts, it is akin to murder. We need to take the time to examine that list, maybe, perhaps, and, 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 and see how these evil thoughts bring about those actions. Remember, it's the evil thoughts that are underneath that bubble to the surface, and then we act out that defiles us. It's not necessarily saying that simply having the thought makes you defiled or sinful, but understanding that those thoughts do appear in our hearts from time to time means that we can do something about it before it bubbles out into our behavior and bubbles out into our lives. As Christians living on this side of Jesus' sacrifice, we don't need to worry about ritual purity because we enter God's presence through Jesus' sacrifice, not through ritual purity. But what Jesus shows us here is that we should be, we must be concerned about this. What does my actions say about the thoughts of my heart? What is the fruit of your actions? Are they self-seeking, self-promoting, self-protecting? Or are they loving, faithful, and kind? What is the fruit of your actions? Are you anxious, worried, angry? 
Or do you find yourself compassionate, long-suffering, and full of perseverance? Now, I'm not saying that you need to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I really am not. This chapter, what Jesus says here, is a challenge to me as well. But I, I sense that what Jesus is trying to communicate here, that with the level of scrutiny that the Pharisees gave ritual, religious practices, with that same level of enthusiasm that the Pharisees gave that, Jesus calls us to reflect and observe God's heart and to see how our heart is becoming more like that heart. What does your life say about you? It's a very big question. A lot of people will simply look at themselves and say, well, you know what? I don't think I'm that bad a person. I know I've done sinful stuff. I know I've done some stuff wrong, but I'm really not that bad. I, in fact, I think I'm, I'm a good person. And in human standards, you probably are. In human standards, I don't think I'm talking to many people who have done anything really terrible that has harmed or, or really destroyed someone else's life. I, 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 I don't think that if you're watching a message like this that you would be in such a position or, or maybe you have but then you've turned away from that. And so this is not about being perfect at all. Sorry, this is not about you, me trying to judge you and say that you're a bad person. But this is about Christ's standards. This is about God's standards. Jesus is not saying that there is no standard that we need to live by. This is not Jesus saying because of grace, you don't have to worry about living according to God's ways. And all Jesus is saying is that the ritual practices aren't important anymore. But the heart still matters. Our behaviors still matter. Whether we are chasing after God's heart still matters today. We can still be defiled if we have evil thoughts that lead to evil actions. Evil thoughts that take us away from God's design and cause us to live out in ways that destroys God's image in us or God's image in others. This is still an important concept to us today. Meeting together on Sundays, a part of that is for us to explore the standards that God has set for us, the practices that God has set for us. Reading your Bible every day is about understanding the design and the practices that God has put in place for us so that we can live lives that are truly pleasing to Him. And when we live lives that are truly pleasing to Him, that's when life truly flows through us. Remember all the parables. What kind of soil are you? When we talk about God's standards and God's ways of living, do you go, Oh, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. Are you going to respond like a heart that is soft and says, Yes, Jesus, speak to me. Help me to respond softly towards you. Or are you going too hard? Don't want to go there. My prayer is that as you listen to the, today's message, that, that you truly want to draw closer to God and His heart because God has got so much more for you in your life. Let me just pray and we'll close from there. Dear Jesus, I pray that even though we don't need to be obeying tradition and, 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 and religious practices in order to come into your presence, that, that God, that there's still a design. There's still patterns for us to observe that help us to understand your heart and from there to understand our hearts as well.
God, I pray that when there's a gap between your heart and ours, when there's a gap between what you have designed us for and how we are living, I pray that we respond softly towards you, that we draw closer to you. We want to be uh, uh, hearing your heart for us, God. I pray that through that we can access all that you truly have for us. I thank you, God, that you've done away with the things that stop us from entering your presence. You've done away with the things that make it difficult for us to step into your presence, that there is so little that stops us from doing so. And so I pray that we will take the time to reflect and to actually enter into your presence every day that we live. We thank you for that, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Get into your lift groups. There's going to be some awesome discussion this week. Thank you. Mm -hmm.